Well, I am very excited to be in this chapter because of the contents in it. We know Paul has been defending himself against accusations, against the super apostles, those that were coming in and saying that he wasn't really that great of a Christian or an apostle, that he was kind of a good start. If we remember from the last chapter, he said that he was not commending himself and those that served with him. It's not about him. It's not about him being puffed up. Remember, we talked about the letters of commendation and how that was a natural thing at that time. But we talked about how the Corinthians wanted to see his letters. They wanted to to see the things that they thought were important. And then finally, at the end of chapter 3, he talked about the supremacy of the age of grace, this age of Christ, about the gospel itself. And as we start these first six verses of chapter 4, we're going to see he's taking off from the last chapter. And that's what's so exciting. He's going to go even deeper. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. And we'll jump into the first six verses of chapter 4. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Pray that you would be working in us, having your will accomplished in our lives this morning as we grow in you and in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, again, attaching it from the last chapter, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I mean, powerful. First one, he says, therefore, he's connecting to those things that we just talked about, how the gospel is preeminent over any person. And he says that since we have this ministry, so the question is, what ministry is he talking about? What thing? The the word ministry means to serve. So what service is he talking about when he says, therefore, since we have this ministry? He's talking about chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 from last week, where it says, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? So it's the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working through the age of grace. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, that's the law, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. And that's what we have. We have this gospel to share with the world that whosoever believes in Jesus Christ shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's a glorious gospel, this age of grace. And because we have this gospel, we have this ministry, he's able to say there, we do not lose heart. First, we received mercy but we do not lose heart. Now this word, do not lose heart, or this phrase, I should say, it's pretty interesting. It means to not be a coward. When you lose heart, that's the, the illustration here in the Greek is that you went to battle, you dropped your weapons, and you ran away. That when things are tough, you are a spiritual coward. But Paul is saying, because of the gospel, the good news, the ministry of Jesus Christ in this age of grace and forgiveness, 
he does not lose heart. Now, we're going to talk about all the things that he's going through and in his life and his ministry. But we're going to see how this all ties together. See, Paul, he's leaving aside the argument, defending himself, because the Corinthians, remember, they're looking to see people that are well-spoken. They have all the letters of commendation. They are making money and they're making careers out of the gospel. And Paul is going to shoot right past that, say it's all nonsense because we have the glory of God. Paul says here that they are not peddlers. They're not selling this gospel. In chapter 2, uh, he said it, we are not as of so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity. But as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. See, these so-called super apostles, they were making the gospel more palatable. They were watering it down. In fact, if you see that word there in verse 2, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, that word deceitfully in the Greek, it means watering it down. So if you had a good drink and you wanted to sell it at your store, you would pour more water in it to get more cups sold. See, Paul's saying you can't water down this gospel. You, you can't make it more palatable. Isn't that what we're seeing in the world today? But Paul's saying absolutely not. He's saying that the only way that he can face the trials, the only way that he can go out into the world, the only way that he can preach the gospel and not lose heart is by trusting in the gospel itself. Paul's very clear. He is not after impressing the Corinthians to increase his poll numbers. It's not about popularity. It's about the gospel going forth. It's about the preaching and teaching of his word. Now, when he does this, he does this in an incredibly powerful way. And it's very easy for us to kind of miss it. If you go down a little farther in verse five, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord and ourselves, your bond servants for Jesus sake. Let's start right there. He does not preach himself. He's not about to puff himself up. But then he says he is a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I am a slave. You guys are looking at these people that are puffing themselves up because you think they're God's blessing them. But Paul is saying, I am a slave to Christ. I don't make my own choices. I don't have my own freedom. I don't pick my own will. Whatever my master's will is, that I do. And we're, we're going to see where that leads him here pretty soon. But if you call Jesus Christ your Lord, that's what that word Lord means. He says something, you obey it. You don't question him. You don't rediscuss the plan with him. You don't try to influence his decision. If he's truly your Lord, then you're going to obey what he's telling you. And how can he say that? Well, he says there, remember verse 5, ourselves, your bondservants, submits to Christ, but he's their bondservants for Jesus' sake. Interesting. But he is not preaching himself. It's Christ Jesus the Lord. And then in verse 6, he says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I mean, this, this is one of those verses. That's like a home-run Grand Slam verse. But we just kind of swing by it because it sounds poetic. Like, what is he talking about? He's talking about Genesis chapter 1. Out of nothing, the Lord spoke and light came out of nowhere. If you remember the days of creation, there's a few days before the sun and the moon even come out. Where's the light coming from? God is the light. 
the Logos, the knowledge, the wisdom, everything, all truth, all things are through God. What Paul is doing, he's identifying to the greatest of greats that God himself is the light, for it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. But then catch this, who has shown in our hearts. Whose hearts? You see, this very same life-breathing creator God out of darkness illuminated all things. He places that light. He places his presence. He places the Holy Spirit in your hearts. We have the presence of God. That's how Paul can say, I can go through these great trials and not lose heart and not be a spiritual coward. And he's going to identify all these things. Don't worry. He's going to build on this. He's going to build on this. But what else did it say here? The blind cannot see the light. Does that mean that the light is weak? Absolutely not. A blind person cannot see the trees, the sky, the sun. Does that mean that the sun's rays are any weaker or any less powerful? No, they simply don't have the ability to receive it. And so were we as non-believers. That's how you can share the gospel with somebody and they look at you like a horn's growing out of your forehead. They look at you like, what are you talking? It's just, they, they can't fathom it. They can't see it. And there you are trying to describe it, but they're blind, spiritually blind. And the God of this age has blinded them, the Bible says. That's why, remember, in the last few chapters, we talked about we have to be praying for people that the blinders of this world and the enemy are removed so that they can see the truth. But that light is placed in us at the moment of salvation when those blinders are received and we see the gospel then it is the very power of God. It is Jesus Christ himself, our Lord, that is working inside of us. And that's what John said. John said, that's the second time I did that. I did in first service too. That's what Jesus said in the gospel of John in chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Don't you want the light of life in your life? the light of creation, the light of God's goodness. Jesus is saying, I am. You could stop right there. He's saying, I am God. I am the creator God. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. Now, he is the son. The son is not the father. The father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the son, but they are co-equal. They are God. He is God in the flesh, the son of God. And he is in us. He dwells in us. He is working a far more exceeding glory than we can imagine. And we're going to go into that soon. But first, let's, let's go a little bit deeper. Let's read verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body of the, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And these are some of the most powerful, encouraging, empowering words that we can read. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. 
We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Yeah. If you know anything about Paul, you know that he is living a crazy life and the things that he is going through. Yet the charlatans, the peddlers of Christ's word, they're watering it down, trying to be popular. Meanwhile, Paul is sharing the gospel, the truth, the light of the world in our hearts that Christ has put in there. Taking the stony heart that is within us, giving us a heart of flesh. And he is making a way so that we can say these things. Now, I got young kids. It's very difficult for me because sometimes I forget that a situation my older children may be going through is the most difficult thing they've ever gone through in their life. Because to me, I'm like, just grow up and get over it. This is a non-issue. When you get older, you're going to have much more difficult things. But I forget, this is the most difficult thing they've ever experienced. I mean, they care so much about what the kids in school think about them. And you try and teach them, you know, like, well, in, a, in 10 years, the people you think are popular are going to be nobody. The people that you don't even think about, they're going to be your, your boss. You're going to work for them. You know, you're going to go through much greater trials. But I forget, this is the most difficult thing they have ever gone through. So when we study Paul, and we're going to look here at a minute of what he's gone through, it's easy for us to be like, well, this is for them. This is for the real Christian. No, this is for you. This is for where you're at. This is for the most difficult thing that you're going through. And I have to remind myself to be encouraging and to help them navigate those decisions and difficulties so that when they get older and they get to the bigger things, they can get through. But then let's not nod our heads and just talk about our kids. The same thing's true of you. The things that you're going through right now are not a big deal. They're not. But they are the most difficult thing you've ever been through. And we're not belittling that. And the Lord is working in you a far more exceeding glory. He's going to use this situation. But let's look at Paul. When Paul is saying these words, what is he talking about? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we've talked about it before. I'm excited for when we get there later in chapter 11. This is what he says. This is what he's been through. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. A fool. We know he's talking about those other so-called apostles. He said, I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. Remember, that's lashings. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. 39 lashings five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I had been in the deep. That's stuck out at sea. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So even just concern for the churches is a trial. I like how he says, besides the other things. He's getting so tired of listing all his trials. He's just like, et cetera, et cetera. But then what does he say? He says, who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Beaten with rods, shipwrecked, stoned, lashed, arrested, imprisoned, chased, hunted, robbed, out at sea. 
And yet, what does he say? What does he say here? We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. How can he say that? We are perplexed, but not in despair. Later on in the Gospels, he says he despaired even unto his life. He had been sent to such a point that it was to the point of death. And yet he can say he didn't truly despair. How? How? We are perplexed, anxiety, confusion, fear. But he says, not in despair. When he says persecuted, he doesn't mean made fun of because he's a Christian, right? We just read the list. But he says he's not forsaken. If anybody's been forsaken by the, by the world, Paul can say that. He's been struck down. When he says struck down, he's not talking about an insult but not destroyed. How can he do these things and how can we have them? Remember, he's preaching to the Corinthians and he's saying, we have the light, the life of Christ inside of us, this gospel message, and it is working in us. It's not just you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're going to heaven, great, that's done, put it on the shelf. It is working in us every single day. We are to live crucified lives daily and that's what paul begins to talk about here he says always verse 10 always carrying about in the body the dying of the lord jesus that doesn't sound very nice carrying about the body in the body the dying of the lord jesus how do we carry that in us and then what is he he finishes that verse he says that the life of jesus also may be manifested where where is it manifested in our body, in our life, not the pastor's life, not the super saint, not Paul. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ is being lived out in us every day. That's how he can say those things. Because that which we think is important is not important. That which we think is going to last is not going to last. The anxiety, the problems, the failures, the things that you're struggling with today are like my little kids' school problems. They're, they're important to them. They're huge. But what are they going to mean in 10 years? Nothing. I'll give you an example, an illustration. They're tearing down statues all across the South right now. Listen, the Confederate generals, the Confederate leaders, they're traitors to the United States of America. In 1861, no one's putting any statues up to them. They have left the Constitution that they swore to uphold. They decided to split the United States of America up so that they could enslave people. Now, I respect their, um, their faith to their state. I respect their, um, many of the motivations they had. But at the end of the day, they are traitors to the United States of America. And they sent men to their death to enslave others. Hang on here. We're going somewhere. Then, after the war, there was a time of reconstruction. And they were starting to build the South, and the South was completely obliterated. And a lot of people didn't want the South to be reintegrated, but they did. But as that end of Reconstruction era is happening, now the South is sending senators and representatives and integrating, and they're not going to forsake their family, and they're not going to change their heritage. So they began to elect politicians, and those politicians began to name military bases, began to put statues up of people they respected in their heritage. And no, I, I don't think we should be just tearing down every statue, but we have to remember in one generation they're traitors, and in another they're heroes. 
And then fast forward a little bit later, I can respect certain things about the heritage. But if I put myself in the shoes of someone who's a person of color and we want to celebrate a person that enslaved my ancestors and say that this is a representation of society, I'm going to have some questions. Now, another person could stand right next to them and say, but those were our forefathers. That was our history. Those were our uh, representation. We don't want to throw away our history and our rights. And you're thinking, some of you are thinking, like, this is really fascinating. The other part is like, what does this have to do with the message? I'll tell you this. In one generation, they're cursed. In another, they're heroes. In another, they're ripping down their statues. In another, they're putting them up. They're all dead. All the Confederates are dead. And only those who hoped in Jesus Christ are in the presence of God. And the victories they had on the battlefield don't mean diddly if they're sitting at the table of Christ. If they did not accept Jesus Christ, they're burning in hell for all of eternity. Because you can only be saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And those things that we think that matter a generation later, nobody cares. Ask the kids in the back. What do they think about the statutes being torn down? They don't even know who we're talking about. And so we take something really big like that in our history and apply it to your own life, your business, your family, your relationship, your money, even your health. You have so much anxiety and depression and fear because you're trying to maintain things that don't matter in the scheme of things. And the Lord is telling us this. Paul is saying his health doesn't matter. His reputation doesn't matter. None of these things matter. The gospel matters going forth. That's how he can carry about the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ. He can die daily. He can realize my priorities are not real priorities unless they're aligned with Christ. This isn't some kind of Zen Buddhism where we're just going to pretend we don't exist and pretend that nothing matters. No, but the Lord wants to work in us in the reality of the life so that we can live life more abundantly. What did it say here? It said, always carrying about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he doesn't stop there, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in us. You know, the things that matter really matter. See, Paul would tell this to the Philippians in chapter 3. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Yet indeed, I also count all things for the excellence as lost, all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, this we're going to go into verse 10. Get your highlighter out. Get your notepad. This is your memory verse. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Who does not want to know God and have the power of his resurrection in his life? Here we are arguing over what statue goes up or comes down. Are they a hero or a villain? Are they a traitor or a leader? We should be asking, were they saved or were they not saved? Did they live for Christ or not for Christ? And then when we do that, we can kind of look down on ourselves and be like, well, you know, I guess my problems aren't really that problem. No, they're a big deal. Your problems that you're going through right now, they're a big deal. We're not belittling them any more than we should be belittling our children that are learning to go through their trials and difficulties. We need to reach people where they're at. 
We've talked about this ministry of death. I just read an article recently. Northern part of South Carolina, they found a graveyard. It's been missing to history. They just found it. They stumbled upon it. 144 people are buried there. All former slaves from the 1700s to 1865. Lost to history. Enslaved. They died in captivity. Did they have long lives, good lives? Did they have hard masters or easy masters? Were they separated and sold to the highest bidder, or did they keep them together? Did they die of famine or disease? Did they have long lives and, and a long life? No idea. We have no idea. They're out there right now with radars and x-rays and all kinds of technical stuff, seeing out how many people, and they found 144 people there, and they're trying to restore it a little bit. And they may be able to say to God, God, why did you put me in this time place? Why did you put me where I'm enslaved? Why did you put me where my family could be separated? Lord, how could you allow me to be born in such an evil country where one man can own another and we could look down on them as inferior? But I tell you, if they were Christians, and I'm assured that many of them were, they're not asking God those questions. They are rejoicing in the presence of God at the table that is prepared. Because they will live from everlasting to everlasting in eternity with God. Those problems are not problems. And you and I, we don't even know their names. Those are families. Those are households. Those are people. They had relationships and children. They had, they had all kinds of problems. And we don't know any of them. And no one's going to know yours. Give it enough time. Give it enough time. Nobody's going to know yours if the Lord tarries. But Jesus knows the name of every single one of those people. He knows every single one of their thoughts. He knows every single one of their lives. He was intimately involved in every aspect of them. He loved them so much he counted every hair that fell. Proverbs tells us that he knows that. But their problems, those weren't even real problems compared to eternity. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26, saying to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, I want to come after you. Let him deny himself. I'm not, I'm not hip on that one, Lord. And take up his cross. Lord, that's a death machine. No, thank you. And follow me. But if he's Lord, didn't I just lecture you? You could just lecture me right back. If he's Lord, the answer is yes and amen. What does Jesus continue to say? He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What profit is there? What profit? How much anxiety, how much pressure, how much heartache, how many difficulties are you going through because you're trying to maintain things that you're not going to be able to maintain forever? You're trying to get things that maybe you'll get that thing or not. But in the end of things, it doesn't really matter. Think about the Confederacy. Think about generals to traitors, to generals, to heroes, to losers, to heroes again. Now they're losers again. And the only thing that matters is if they accepted Christ or not. If they served him. If they lived by faith, regardless of their political beliefs, did they live by faith in Christ alone or not? Paul's not done now. Verses 13 through 15 says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus 
and will present us with you. Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. The gospel, the light that is in these earthen vessels. Remember how he said we had these in earthen vessels? That's our body. We carry the glory of God in us. The gospel, the power, the spirit of God, so that we, as Christ is working in us and we deny our flesh, we pick up the cross and follow after him, then you can say we are hard-pressed on every side and not crushed. Because no matter how pressed I am, Christ will never leave me or forsake me. You can say we are perplexed, anxiety, fear, depression. And I can say, but I'm not in despair. Because no matter how spiritually difficult it gets, emotionally, mentally difficult, Jesus will never leave me or forsake me. I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I will have victory for I will sit at a table in the presence of my enemies with Christ. Persecuted, Paul's beaten, stoned, hit with rods. But he says he's not forsaken because Christ will never leave us. No matter what difficulties we go through, he knows every thought. He knows every part of you. He knows every molecule. He knows everything you're doing intimately. And it has a purpose. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It has a purpose. Your life has a purpose. But that purpose is none of the things that you think are the purpose. If it has something to do with your career, with your relationships, with your children, with your family, with your businesses, with your money, with your legacy, none of that matters. It's going to be gone. You get a lot, you get a little, it's gone, it's forgotten. Only weird people like me that go looking about history stuff even care. You got people like my wife that's like, oh, come on, nobody cares. And she's right. I'm the only one. But that was somebody's legacy, their family. They strove every day to make that thing happen. But without Christ, it's a waste of time. We all want this real life, this true life, this divine purpose. And that's why it says here in verses 16 through 18, Therefore, because of all these things, we do not lose heart. We're not cowards in the battle. Even though our outward man is perishing, we just all admitted that's true, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. Paul, that's ludicrous. How can you say light affliction? We just read the list. Which is but for a moment is working for us. Highlight this. He's speaking to you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. A far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Your life of faith through Christ. That is what matters. Christ is working in us. He's moving in us. And he's doing things in the unseen that are preparing us for an eternal kingdom. And all the things that we struggle to attain, we still need to do it. We still need to reap what we sow. We still need to carry our own burdens. We still need to go out there, preach the gospel, live lives, have children, be fruitful and multiply. Yes. And yes, there's trials right now, difficulties that are, are the most difficult thing you've ever gone through. And the Lord's not looking down on you for that. 
but he's working with you through that. But don't be working on a different goal than the Lord. Your goal may be put more money in that bank. Your goal may be to get that person, get that relationship, make that marriage, raise that family, have those kids, get that house. I have no idea how many people lived in my house before I did. And I say I owned it. I owned it. I owned that house. Until I die and somebody else takes it over. Nothing is permanent. And while we're trying to focus on those things, Christ is saying, I have an eternal house. I have a far more exceeding, greater work of glory that will be eternal. Or you can just believe those people, you know, watching Fox News, having your anxieties put on you, or the three of you that watch CNN, you know. You can have all the people telling you how bad the world is and how it's all falling apart and how everything's terrible, how everything's atrocious. True, but the Lord's coming back. He's going to fix it all. He's going to set everything straight, and we're going to come back with him. He is on the throne. We should be able to say what Paul says to the Corinthians. In chapter 11 of the first Corinthians, he said, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Are we growing closer to the Lord? Is he working in us? Are we imitating him? Are people able to see the difference in each and every one of us? That's our prayer. Every one of us wants to be able to be in the storm of life and to say that we are hard-pressed but not crushed. We want to talk about the difficulties of life and we want to be able to say we are in perplexed but not in despair. We want to be able to face real persecution, and it'll come sooner or later. Hold your horses. Don't get too excited. And be able to face it and say that we're not forsaken. We want to be able to be struck down, to fall, to stumble, to lose, and yet not be destroyed. But we can only do that if we do what Christ told us to do, which is to pick up the cross, follow after him, deny ourselves. Because he who thinks he's living to keep his life will lose it but he who gives his life will gain it. We have to make sure the things that count really count. The legacy of this planet is not forever. It's going to pass away, but your soul will live with Christ forever, and he is working a far more exceeding weight of glory in you. You have a purpose. You have a place. He created you for a reason. Everything else is secondary. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, for the gospel, that it's a living gospel, this good news that you're working in us. You've saved us and you're saving us. You've saved us for all eternity. No one can pluck us from your hand. And yet you're working in us every single day. Help us to have joy and spiritual strength and victory and live life more abundantly because we can enjoy it all. Because we're not trying to save it and keep it all, Lord. Only you can do that. Help us to truly count our blessings this morning, to leave here refreshed and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen.